0: I'm Kate Boyle and welcome back to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. Now, this week's episode is a special episode as we are celebrating our 200th episode of the podcast. Now, I can't believe we've hit this milestone already. I feel like we only hit the 100 episode milestone, you know, not too long ago. So I want to start off by saying a big thank you to all of you guys listening out there. I know that some of you have been listening, you know, in weekly and from the start, so really sending you so much gratitude right now and very thankful for you know all the conversations i have with people that listen to the podcast and tell me their biggest takeaways and the messages i get online so thanks to you guys for making this happen and you know listening in and hearing these amazing experts so to celebrate our 200th episode i wanted to share the top 5 things that i've learnt from recording these episodes with all the different, you know, different health experts I've interviewed over the last couple of years and all the wisdom they've shared, I wanted to highlight some of my biggest takeaways which I know have come up for a lot of you too, as you've told me in person and through messages and in emails. From, you know, some of the amazing guests we've had on. So my first takeaway is to not underestimate the impact of trauma on our healing response. So we talked a lot about this in episode 125 with Kirsten Boyce. And we'll link all these episodes in the show notes. So if you want to go back and listen to any of these episodes that I mentioned, you know, maybe you've missed them the first time around or you want to go back and re-listen, check out the podcast show notes and they'll be listed there. But I also talk about this. There's an upcoming episode uh, with Jenny Del Reeve, which is going to be a really fantastic episode um, that I hope you guys will listen to. And she talks about trauma and the impact of trauma around pelvic floor health and trauma. So that is a, you know, little sort of a sneak peek of an interesting episode coming up. But it also came up quite a lot with many of our other experts we had on the show, just when we were referring to, you know, injuries and pain, and not just physical, but, you know, talking about the load of stress, underestimating that impact of trauma. You know, we really don't think about it, but the trauma that we may experience when we're younger. So it may happen when we're children, you know, it may happen, you know, a few years ago, it could be happening, you know, currently right now. It has a layering effect on the body and stress will show up in many different ways. And you may physically feel it in the sense that, you know, you feel weighed down. That's often, you know, a phrase we'll use that we feel really weighed down. We might feel heavy in our chest, then we might also feel, you know, tightness or pain in our body. And we have these flare-ups that we think, oh, we haven't done anything different this week, you know. So I'm not sure why my body's feeling you know this pain because nothing in my normal schedule has changed but this can be the layering effect of either stress or previous trauma that hasn't been dealt with and you know some of this may sound a little bit woo woo you're like oh that just sounds a little bit crazy but i can tell you in my 20 years of teaching Pilates and working in the nutrition field and working with clients in both, you know, a physical sense in the studio with exercises but then also in, you know, guiding people through changing their nutrition that trauma is a really big part of, you know, the recovery process when we're healing both physically and mentally. And you know, in the studio, it's often sort of a thing in the Pilates realm where, you know, people will often cry in the studio. And that's because they're taking some time out, you know, they're concentrating on their body, which doesn't happen a lot in everyday life because we're so busy and our brains are going a million miles an hour thinking about five different things at once. And when you get into the studio and you lie down and your instructor says, how's your body feeling? And you think superficially, oh, it's fine. Yep, it's good but then you start to actually move and connect to your breath and drop back into that parasympathetic state, that connection to the breath is really powerful, then that's when we might start to feel things coming up. And that can be, you know, different emotions, different feelings in our body. And often we will have people cry in the studio because it's like a release. They're finally stopping, you know, slowing down, taking some time out, focusing on a movement. And their body will release, and often it is in the form of tears that comes out, and people will apologize and say, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, and it's totally fine. You know, I always say to clients, if that's what your body, you know, needs to do, that's what it needs to do. It's only doing it right now at this moment because either one, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you and, you know, I am trying to connect with you on your body and someone is asking you how you are really feeling not just that superficial oh yeah I hope you know no one ever wants to hear anything other than the, the word good or fine you know I'm really asking you how you are feeling and then I'm watching you move and I may be palpitating or you know applying touch to certain areas of the body depending on what we're working on. And it can be that connection that triggers that emotional release. And, you know, you guys have heard me hear me say time and time again, you know, certain clients of mine will get to a certain point in their Pilates practice, you know, in changing their lives through their nutrition. And then it almost, they almost sort of plateau. They don't go that next step or they don't improve that movement because there's something else that's Separate to the movement, some type of layer of trauma or stress that is being held by the body. And until we process that, and that process can be different, that processing can be different for everybody. Maybe it is, you know, needing to go see. A psychologist or a psychiatrist or, you know, going to some type of, you know, pain management specialist or, you know, lots of different ways that you could potentially deal with trauma depending on what it is. But until you get that separate understanding and processing, then we kind of hit a plateau in different areas of our life. And that's where I've had to learn as, you know, the practitioner and the instructor that there is only so much that i can do and that that healing journey physically mentally is up to the client themselves and some people you know want to you know process that trauma and move on and some people are unable to do that and there is no right or wrong it just depends on what stage of your journey that you're on so speaking to some of these health experts has been great for me as a practitioner because I'm always thinking about my clients and, you know, what I can do with them to help take them to the next level, it's helped me understand more that our bodies, our emotions, um, you know, our physical and, and our mental part of our bodies are complex and everybody has their own journey. And, you know, where we can work to with me on their Pilates journey or their nutrition journey is, you know, what I can do and is fantastic. And then, you know, we may only be able to get to a certain point and that's okay. So I think having that understanding, even if you've been listening in and maybe going through some things yourself, understanding that trauma can play a part in, you know, your body's pain and your body's reactions, you know, can be very beneficial and very supportive you know for your knowledge to know that it's not one thing that will heal it's a multi-factorial you know complex of people and situations and processing that we need to do and that takes time and that's okay so you know one of my biggest takeaways that I wanted to start with that because I had some great conversations with these experts is about around that sort of area of trauma and healing And, you know, I hope if you're going through anything like that, that you can find the right people to work with to help you move through that, whether or not it's pain, emotional, physical, whatever it may be to live your best life. Okay. Moving on to number two. The second thing that I have learned that really resonated with me is that motivation wanes. So, so many times clients have asked me, how do I keep? my motivation going when I feel tired or stressed or fed up or just don't feel like getting up out of bed? How do I keep going? You know, what's the secret? And, you know, I had quite a number of conversations around this. So, you know, one of the ones I had was in episode 111 and 195 with Mindy Hubner, which had it about motivation a lot. And then also in episodes 168 and 199 with Tracy Plesscourt. And then another one that stood out was with Ange from My Goal Squad, which was episode 91. So definitely check those episodes out because we chat about why relying on motivation doesn't work and it really comes down to if we want to make a change our ability to make a change is based on three things how we're currently feeling and that may be how much pain we're feeling how stuck we're feeling how upset we're feeling you know whatever the situation may be and our what is the level of need we have to make this change so What is really driving us to make the change? Have we really hit what we feel being rock bottom, you know, to make this change? That need has to be great in order to make the change. If our need is not great, then we're definitely not going to follow through. So number one, we have to have a great want or need to make this change. Number two is being brave enough to actually make the change, So, you know, everybody is always scared when they start something new or they start to, you know, change. Maybe it's their, you know, people they hang out with, their partner, their routines, their new job. Everybody gets scared. So how brave are we to actually decide to make this change and follow through? And then finally, the final part, the third part, is having the discipline to follow through and then keep up the consistency. So these three steps or three things will determine how well we make a change and then follow through or, you know, have a new workout routine we want to do and follow through. So those three things together will outweigh your motivation because we know motivation is going to wane over time. Nobody wakes up every morning and goes, oh, I just can't wait to bounce out of bed and put my clothes on and run 10 kilometers. Like there are going to be those days where we wake up feeling tired. You know, maybe we didn't sleep very well. Maybe, you know, it was really hot overnight and we tossed and turned. Maybe we've got a lot going on at work and we feel stressed. So we can't rely on motivation to see us through. We have to create habits that become automatic so I had this conversation with one of my clients recently and she won't mind me mentioning because we were talking about motivation and how it wanes and what we can do. And I said to her it's all about building healthy habits and then stacking those habits one after another so that they just seem so simple to do. So we were talking about, you know, how everybody brushes their teeth, you know? We were taught from a little kid to brush your teeth, you know, when you're getting ready for bed. And it just becomes a habit. It's not something we really have to think about, you know, and sit down and go, will we do that tonight? No, it's a habit that we just do. So then if we want to stack in a habit, you know, a healthy habit, maybe it's making sure that you exercise sometime during the day, you want to move your body, then it's stacking that habit of that movement Somewhere else, about either before or after one that you're already doing, so it makes it easy. Maybe it's before you have your healthy breakfast. Maybe it's before you have lunch that you can nip outside and go for a walk. You know, maybe it's on the way home from work rather than driving home because you're already out. You'll stop at the gym or the Pilates studio and do a class before you get home. So learning to stack those habits and then make it so automatic that it just becomes part of your life is how we going to make the changes we want to make and then stick to them so that we can see the results. So it's not the once a week session that we do that's going to make us really strong. It's the once a week session plus the in-between things we're doing that's going to build up over time. So when you're learning, say you were learning the piano, if you're only practicing once a week, that's good. You know, maybe you'll improve a little, but if you were practicing three times a week, you can see how much quicker you would improve. You know, maybe it's the musicality or the tone or you know your, your finger playing, whatever it is. But it's going to improve across the board much quicker and at smaller increments. You know, just a couple of percent each time, which will add up over the end of a month. A year, five years, and beyond, and you can apply that logic to anything that you're doing. Whether or not you're, you know, training for to run ten k, or you want to lift heavier weights, or maybe it's just you know in your everyday life you want to eat healthier. There are small steps that we can take, and the more frequently we practice and adopt these habits, and they just become so natural that they are a part of everyday life, the easier we're going to stick to them and not feel like there's any resistance to them. So, you know, chatting about that and learning why it's so important has been even more fundamental to, you know, the practices that I do, and I know it's helped a lot of listeners and clients having these conversations and hearing them from some of the other health health experts we've had on the podcast. Hi everyone. I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that I have a brand new daily Pilates workout that you can download for free and work out with me. Now, this daily Pilates workout is just 15 minutes. It's going to help you build strength and mobility. It's going to help energize you, leave you feeling really good. And the best bit, it's only going to take 15 minutes. So to grab your free workout, head on over to the podcast show notes and click the daily Pilates workout link. I can't wait to see you on your mat. Now moving on to number three, and that is that stress is the biggest hidden impact on our health and whether or not that's from physical emotional, environmental, or potentially, you know, lifestyle influences, or even past trauma, stress is the hidden thing that we don't think about. We often think, you know, if we want to improve our health, we're going to change our diet. We're going to change our exercise, but we don't think that maybe we actually need to think about changing our stress levels and not even the amount of stress that's coming in on us, because a lot of the time we don't have control of how much stress we face, but what we can re- control is our stress response, how we respond to stress. And dialing that in has a huge impact to help reduce information in the body and improve our, you know, immunity and reduce our risk of disease, improve our energy and our focus and our longevity. And even when it comes to perimenopause and menopause, stress is that sort of hidden underlying thing that again, so many women aren't factoring in to why they're having so many symptoms. So we chatted about this a lot in a few of our sort of perimenopause, menopause interviews um, with Marjorie Nash. So that was in episodes 147 and 198, and then also with Kathy Fritz in episode 158. And then we touched on it a lot when it came to our metabolic health and that as well. So really looking at our how we can manage our stress and our stress response. So we know that when we experience stress we have increased cortisol levels we our nervous system sort of lights up and we go to that parasympathetic state which is that fight or flight state we're on heightened alert. The blood, you know, our blood circulation diverts away from digestion and metabolism, you know, and to our limbs getting ready to fight or flee, you know, to save ourselves. And when that's happening and we're in this heightened state, then we won't digest our food very well. Menstrually, you know, our cycles can be disrupted because our body is not going to prioritize, you know, creating life when it thinks we're in, you know, a situation where we may be running or fighting for our life. And our immunity in that starts to get dialed down because everything is being diverted to save your life. And this may not be a problem when it only happens every once in a while. So back in those caveman days, you know, you've heard so many experts say it, but when we were running from a lion, okay, and that only happened, you know, a couple of times a year, that's okay. But nowadays, our stress response is exactly the same. Whether or not we're running late for a meeting, we're frustrated because we're stuck in the car and we're waiting for our you know kid to come out of after school sport we had an altercation at the supermarket when someone was rude to us you know there it doesn't matter what it is any small stressful response will create that same reaction in our body cortisol will get dumped and then over time, that's going to contribute to depleting our adrenal glands and we're going to feel burnt out. And we chatted a lot about this in a few different podcast episodes about burnout and how we can protect ourselves from burnout. So managing our stress response is where we can definitely start. And a few things that we can do to do that is lowering our inflammation levels. So we can do that by moving our body, making sure that we've got a really nutritious diet, you know, that's fueling ourselves really well, steering clear of excess sugar and seed oils, having that connection with community. So family and friends, you know, being able to have people that we can call and chat to and see and hug. So physical touch, you know, really fostering those relationships can make a big difference with helping lowering inflammation. Um, maintaining a healthy weight. So avoiding obesity, you know, there's lots of things that we can do avoiding chemicals. So whether or not that's chemicals in our, you know, healthcare or beauty care products, or just chemicals around the house that may be in our cleaning products or in our food, all of these steps will help to lower inflammation and improve our stress response. On top of that, we can stimulate our vagus nerve. So Humming singing, gargling, you know, put on your favorite star- song, start singing along, you know, cold water immersion. That's why it's become so popular lately, because it will help stimulate that vagus nerve. In on top of that, touch is the same. It helps stimulate the vagus nerve. So whether or not that's like physical touch through a hug and we can get oxytocin released or through massage as well, that physical touch is really important. So focusing on ways to manage stress. And for you, it might be very different, you know, to me. So whether or not you love to do some meditation or some breath work. I mean, Pilates is one of the releases for me to help manage my stress, is moving my body, connecting to my breath. So I'm incorporating that breath work with moving my body. It could be reading, you know, carving out time throughout your day where you can just sit down and have a cup of tea, you know, whatever lights you up, making sure that you're including activities that bring you joy frequently in your life, not a once a month thing, you know, where it's a real treat, but you know, if what brings you joy is having a bath, you know, put it into your weekly routine a couple of times a week. You know, if you love going for a walk in nature, you know, get out rather than getting on your treadmill in the garage, get outside and walk to the local park. So looking at ways that you can build more joy into your life and more downtime. And part of that too is putting our devices away, you know, turning off the phone, not being on the phone before bedtime, you know, making sure you switch your laptop off, you know, after work, not at, you know, nine o'clock at night. So really sort of watching that exposure to blue light and our electronic devices and building in some more of that contact time in real life with people You know, books, you know, physical things that we can just build in some of that nice slower downtime so our brain isn't racing a million miles an hour. All right, moving on to number four. And one of my other biggest takeaways, number four, is that we really need to eat enough protein and add resistance training as we age. So when I was younger, I did a lot of cardio work, running. Cycling, swimming. You guys know that I used to be a dancer, so it was swimming and dancing and triathlons, and you know, all this cardio, which is really hard on the nervous system. Again, it's going to push us back into that sympathetic state, that fight or flight state all the time. And when you're younger, it doesn't seem to affect you as much, but as we start to age, And our hormones start changing and we start to hit, you know, perimenopause and then menopause. And we're at increased risk of, you know, losing our bone density and osteopenia and osteoporosis and also losing our muscle mass with sarcopenia. We know how important protein is, our protein intake. So, you know, trying to aim if you're a woman out there for around about 100 grams a day, And also adding in and combining it with resistance training. So, you know, back in my 20s and even my early 30s, I didn't think too much about it. I still did resistance training, but it definitely wasn't as much of a focus for me and I could get away with it, I think, you know. Now that I've hit 40, I've realized that even more so, I need to up that resistance training. And our resistance training can look different for everybody. So whether or not you want to lift weights, you know, and you want to go to the gym, or for me, when I'm doing my Pilates, I am putting up that spring load. You know, I am really, in some exercises, really testing myself and working myself and putting up the spring load so I'm going to do less reps at a higher resistance. So there's some exercises, let's use calf risers. You could do a lower load, calf risers on the reformer and aim for 30 calf risers. Whereas I'm going to put extra load on and aim for sort of 10 to 15. So I won't do it all the time, but I definitely change it up. And I also change it up for my clients as well. So adding in resistance training two to three times a week. And as I said, whether or not that's working with weights or bands or springs, but you know, I've really enjoyed adding kettlebells into you know my training and now my clients' training as well, just to really bump up that resistance. It is so important, and something that is really—it's starting to come to light, especially for women as they hit sort of menopause and peri- perimenopause, and then menopause—that are how important our protein intake is and our resistance training is. And in the last few years, it's really you'll see a lot more, you know, information out in the media that there are, this is why we should be focusing on this. And one of the big reasons is we really want to prevent falls. So some of the stats: falls in Australia are the leading cause of injury, hospitalization and death. So the leading cause, they represent 43% of injury hospitalizations and 42% of injury deaths. That's nearly half. That is a huge amount. So falls requiring hospitalization occur more frequently in adults with increasing age And are most likely to occur in the home. So, so many people think it's going to happen, you know, out on the road, we're going to trip or whatever, but it occurs most in the home. And over half of injury hospitalizations are from falls and involve a fracture. So if we, you know, have a fracture, that recovery from that fracture is not going to be easy. Often it's, we're going to require surgery. Then you're going to be immobilized for a period of time, which means you are going to lose further muscle mass. That's going to be sort of the most um, prevalent thing that you're going to see, that muscle mass different. But we're going to lose bone mass at the same time because we're not loading our bones. So the more that we can build up our strength, And also boost our protein intake because to build muscle mass, it's not just enough to only do weights or only eat protein. We need to do the weights to break those muscle fibers, and then we need to eat the protein to help those muscle fibers knit back together stronger. So it's the combination of the two that make the biggest difference. And for so many clients that I have worked with, especially in the nutrition side, Once we start to bump up their protein intake, especially for women, because we do tend to under-eat protein as women, once we look at increasing that protein intake, they don't feel as hungry. They lose weight so much more easily. So many women that I've worked with over the years come in and they're like, not, you know, they're saying, I can't lose weight. You know, it used to be easy just to maintain this weight. Now I've got all this weight that I don't know where it's come from and I can't get rid of it. And once we look at exactly how much they're eating, which generally they're under eating, they're under eating overall, but they're also under eating protein. Once we start to bump up that protein intake, we see that weight drop off in combination with increasing their resistance training. So really adding in at least two, if not three strength training sessions a week. And those strength training sessions don't have to be super long. And if you are thinking, I am not going to stand there and lift weight, Kate, for 20 or 30 minutes, I just won't do it. Well, that's fine. Do 20 to 30 minutes of Pilates. Get down on your mat. Add some hand weights in. Add a band in. You know, do your weight and resistance work that way. Do some of your, you know, in inside the membership, all our Pilates workouts, you know, we will do on the mat, but we're not always lying down. We're standing. We're really trying to load those bones. So... You know, another reason I think Pilates is so fantastic is yes, you can lie down or you can sit. So if you have issues with mobilization, we've got options for everybody, okay? If you're injured, you know, if you've had a hip replacement, a knee replacement, whatever it is, but we can also move to standing positions and really work on our overall strength and balance and load that bone too. So Everybody can do Pilates. It doesn't matter how old you are, you know, what injuries you have. And I think that's the beauty of Pilates that, you know, I love that whoever walks in the studio door or whoever signs up for the membership, I can help them. There is something that they can do in Pilates that's going to help them feel more flexible stronger you know more energized all right there is so many different exercises that you can work on but yes that sort of takeaway is really focusing on that protein and resistance training and i talk a lot about that in episode 154 so definitely check that out because i go into more detail about the levels of protein how to include more protein in the diet and various resistance uh, types of training too And then finally, the last or number five, the uh, last takeaway that I've had from, you know, recording these 200 episodes is that the lifestyle changes we make, make the biggest difference to our health. It's not the medications that we're taking. It's the lifestyle changes. So, so many times, you know, speaking to health professionals, you know, especially when we're talking about perimenopause and menopause and HRT, HRT can be amazing for women, okay? It can make them feel like, you know, a totally new person. But every health expert that I chatted to about this said we really need to dial in the lifestyle changes first to support what the HRT is going to do. So, it, You know, they sort of said, if you don't make any of those lifestyle changes, HIT, you know, may work at sort of, you know, 25%. You'll see a little bit of an improvement, but maybe not that much. But if you dial in the simple lifestyle changes, then it's going to work so much better. And this is where that holistic health model, which we talked about a lot as well with so many of the health experts you know, is really fundamental and the key. So it's not that traditional Western medicine where, you know, we go to the doctor and we already have a problem and the doctor just sort of treats the symptoms, you know, and then we leave. It's really going back to the root cause of what is happening and why are we experiencing these symptoms and how can we change that root cause so we no longer have these symptoms popping up. So, you know, that sort of Western model and taking the medication works more like a Band-Aid and masking the symptoms, but it doesn't cure. It's only a treatment. And diabetes, you know, type 2 diabetes is a great example of this. So the majority of type 2 diabetes, 95% of cases, can be changed via lifestyle changes by you know reducing our sugar intake, eating more a uh, more whole foods diet, moving more frequently, you know, making sure that you know our activity levels are great, lowering inflammation levels in the body, you know, again, downregulating our nervous system, lowering stress. So all these lifestyle changes can help change our blood sugar levels and our insulin response. And when people do that, they can often go off their diabetes medication for type 2 diabetes, not type 1. That is totally different. That's, you know, an autoimmune disorder. But, you know, that is just an example of how if we look back at the root cause, rather than, you know, being diagnosed with diabetes and going on medication to manage our blood sugar levels, if we look at what's causing these blood sugar levels to go up and we address that, then we make that change and we don't need that medication that may have nasty side effects. And I know you guys know this because if you've been listening to this podcast, I know how passionate you are about your health, you know, and really getting to that root cause. And I think the more of us that start to, you know, adopt that health model of looking at the root cause, then the better off we're going to be because we're going to have lower rates of disease and illness and being able to treat more of, you know, the symptoms Going back to that root cause by making smaller, you know, just smaller changes, you know, going back to basics, making sure that we, you know, have a regular sleep-wake cycle, that we are, you know, really trying to stick to that whole food diet the majority of the time and shopping on the outside, you know, of the supermarket rather than going in to get those processed foods that have lots of different, you know, chemicals and additives and preservatives that aren't great for our body you know, making sure that we're moving every day, that we're having conversations with people in real life, you know, maybe that's phoning a friend, you know, maybe that's catching up with people in person, you know, reaching out to your family, you know, having a network of people that you can reach out to. So everything adds up over time, but if we adopt it and make it just part of everyday life, then it doesn't seem like such a big deal. You know, and another one, you know, sort of symptom that we often that pops up with clients is acid reflux. So when that pops up, so many times you can go off to your doctor and they will essentially give you an acid blocker. So a meditation, a meditation, a medication to take that will lower the acidity in your stomach. Now, the issue is we need acid in our stomach to help break down our food so that we can digest it properly. If we have lower acidity in our stomach, that food doesn't get broken down as well, and the transit time through our gut slows down. So that food, you know, hangs around in there, not being digested properly, and then we can have flow on effects and side effects from that. When if we go and we look at our diet and we see, okay, we're experiencing this acid reflux, what can we do? Well, we can definitely look to eliminate alcohol and cut back and eliminate caffeine because they're two things that can really aggravate the gut. You know, we can look at if we've got a lot of processed foods, seed oils, high sugar foods going into our diet. If that's the case, you know, clean that up. Are we hydrating well, Are we drinking water? or are we leaning in and drinking you know the soft drinks and the um, energy drinks and coffee and tea? You know, there's lots of things that we can do that will address that reflux rather than leaning into that medication. So medication definitely has its place. It can do wondrous things. But if we have the choice of looking at our health and addressing the root cause, then we will be, you know, so much better off overall and in the long term if we can do that. And I've had quite a few now, you know, um, integrative health specialists come on the podcast that talk about this. So if you can find, you know, a doctor that you can work with, sort of, you know, a functional medicine doctor that really looks at that holistic health, then, you know, Put them in your corner, okay? Really work with them. And usually, you know, they're going to take a full history where they'll go back to, you know, when you were a baby. How how were you born? Were you breastfed? You know, you think these things don't matter. But they do because that can change, you know, your immunity. Uh, you know, where did you grow up? Was there mold in your house? Was there high stress levels? Was there any traumatic events? All of things, these things add up over time and can influence your health as an adult. And. You know, they will have different treatment protocols depending on, you know, what your health's been like, you know, right from being a baby through to now. So delving into that can be really beneficial and, you know, a bit like a detective give you so much information that you can use for your health to improve it for the long term. And that is a wrap on our 200th episode. So I just want to say a huge thank you to all my guests that have been on the podcast, as well as all of you guys listening in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. When I first started this podcast, I was super scared (laughs) being a uh, more of an introverted person, not really knowing, you know, how this was going to be received, but knowing deep down that I wanted to help women with their health. And I know myself listening to other podcasts, how much I've gotten out of listening to podcasts, you know, hearing an expert talk, uh, hearing, you know, some of the stories that they share and thinking, that sounds like me, or that sounds like someone I know, or my clients, and I can definitely relate to that, can be very, you know, beneficial when you're either thinking about your health, but also just make you feel like you're not alone. And so I wanted to ideally really elevate women's health and speak to female health experts in the field, lifting them up so they have a platform to share their voice and information and get, you know, this information out there to help as many women as possible. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really hope that Every week, you know, you hear information that you can learn from and share with others and help lift you up. Okay, that's it for this week, and I'll see you again next week on the podcast. Thanks for listening into to the podcast. Please hit subscribe to be updated for each time we release a new podcast.